0: Would you turn to Daniel chapter 12? We've made it, church. We made it through another book. So chapter 12 tonight, the final 13 verses, this amazing uh, journey that we've had with a man who was unafraid to stand when others bowed. You know, it's been an interesting uh, couple of weeks, hasn't it, as we've kind of journeyed through this time and we reached this place to where Uh, So many things seem to be happening so rapidly on the world stage. Um, Most of you know we were about ready to send a missions team off to Colombia this coming week and we got word today uh, that the Colombian government has banned all foreigners from entering the country. So uh, we've had to cancel that trip. Um, We're not rescheduling it yet because we want to make sure that we know a date that will work that we can actually get in, but... um, for those of you that don't know, we're actually building a facility on the island of Tierra Bomba, uh, this mission's base, and it's also a place where we'll have a Compassion International site, and, yeah, and so uh, we're firmly rooted and grounded in the city of Cartagena, Colombia, but uh, it is it is with uh, a, a sad heart that it's like, it's kind of like, well, maybe we could sneak in, you know, just, just how there's a little, there's a tad of rebel in me. I, I you know, I think God's still dealing with that after all these years. But but uh, we're gonna heed the the word of the Colombian government lest we get anybody in trouble because we have so many people there that um, we, we minister alongside of. But uh, continue to pray as the events unfold. We'll keep you updated. So remember to bookmark that uh, CCSB Now uh, page on your phone and you can keep uh, tabs of what's going on. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, I'll give you a little clue. I think, I think the Lord was up to something. Uh, today we had 7,433 people watching online. Uh, so that's individual devices that were connected online. So that's probably at least double that as far as people. So uh, the Lord is up to something. He's doing something. He, even though you know, we're seeing attendance shrink a little bit here physically in the building, we're all still gathering Uh, We're going to continue to do church, and I believe that the Lord, just like in the case of Daniel, you know, Daniel was told to not do a whole bunch of things, and he went ahead and did them anyway, amen? And and it wasn't because he was being rebellious, he just trusted God. He believed that God was his deliverer, he followed the Lord, and that's not uh, for the sake of rebellion, that's just simply to say he, he stood when others bowed. And so we're gonna continue to do what God tells us to do until uh, he gives us a different message. We're going with the one that we already have, which is to serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love on our neighbors as ourselves, amen? Daniel chapter one, and let's pray and ask God to speak to us through this final chapter, which is the final act in the deliverance uh, of the nation Israel. Father, we thank you for the power and the majesty, the beauty Uh, your holiness expressed in your word, and your plans. Lord, that you still, to this day, uh, have a plan to reach your chosen people, the nation Israel. And Lord, though blindness has come upon them in part, uh, it's not permanent, it's not full, it's not complete. And one day, uh, your word declares that all Israel will be saved. The Apostle Paul wrote those words in Romans 11. Uh, And we are looking forward with great anticipation as the things in this world ramp up to the end. Lord, as we see the stage set for the rise of the Antichrist, Lord, even in our day and time, what was impossible in the time of Daniel has become possible in our own time. And so we wait upon you to speak to us as your church. Please do that tonight through your word. Bless us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Daniel 12, at that time, again, circle it. It's is so important that you keep track of these statements because it, it gives us the timeline. It's letting us know God is speaking to us in our time that at that time, speaking of a time that was future in Daniel's day, uh, that Michael would stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And of course, at that point in time, there was only one your people, and there still exists to this day God's chosen people, the nation Israel. And while we're adopted into the family, they are still the apple of his eye. God still has a plan for the Jewish people. And so at that time, when that time is, we'll discuss in a moment, there shall be a time of trouble. Very important what follows. Because we're given some insight into when this is, though not being told specifically, we're we're told about the conditions, the very same thing that Jesus would remind us of in the Olivet Discourse. We're, We're given some conditions that we can look at though we're not given a specific time. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Never was. Hasn't ever been. Unique in all of the history of the nation Israel. Even to that time. And again, it's important to mark the time throughout this passage. Because once we get the marker for when it is, it makes everything else fall in line so that we can understand it. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. How do you get written in the book, church? You have to be saved, amen? You you can't be written into the Lamb's book of life unless, unless you've come to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Savior, the Messiah. And so if this is talking about a time And it gives a reference point that this is going to happen when their names are written in the book. By default, it automatically goes to the time when the Messiah has come, the Messiah has revealed himself, and people can be saved by grace and through faith because they believed on the only begotten Son of God because it says their names are going to be written in the book. And so it's speaking in Daniel's time of a day that was future. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. This gives us additional details. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. It sounds like two resurrections to me. Does it not sound like two resurrections to you? It sounds like there's going to be different ends to these two groups of people. Some to everlasting life. How do you obtain everlasting life? If you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Jesus is the only one that's ever been able to give eternal life, amen? So that everlasting life that's in view there is salvation in Christ. It's not just a long life. It isn't a lengthy life. It is eternal life. It is the quality of life that you can only have by being a child of God. And so it is speaking very clearly of a future date. And in this case, still in the future, very much in the future. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so this final act in that time, what is it? It's the Jeremiah 30 time of Jacob's trouble. And so this is speaking forward into time it could again could not possibly be looking at the time of Antiochus uh, the fourth the epiphanies it is not possible as that time because jesus gives us a further marker of that time in matthew 24 and, and as i shared with you as, as daniel was speaking in chapter 11 as he receives this word from heaven this word from the lord Uh, He's really looking forward to the time of Jesus. And so when Jesus says this in in verses 15 to 21 in Matthew 24, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through Daniel the prophet, Jesus was in a very unique place to say that because Antiochus Epiphanes was already in the past at that time by 168 years, actually almost 190 if you include his lifetime. And so Jesus couldn't have been speaking of Antioch's Epiphanes. He had to be speaking of a future date to his own time. And here's why. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on his rooftop of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman and nursing mothers and pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great distress distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never again to be equaled. And so it appears that Jesus, who I believe is the one speaking to Daniel in this particular passage of scripture, we're gonna see that in a moment, it's the same Jesus who tells us in Matthew 24, this time is still future because the temple was never desecrated in Jesus's time. And in fact, it was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman emperor, Flavius Titus. And so as he wipes the temple mount clean of the the temple itself and pushes the rubble to the base of the southern wall, which by the way, you can go still see the Herodian stones at the base of the wall to this day. They're still there. There is still no stone left one on top of another. There's plenty of mosques. There's some pavement, but there's no temple. And so this is a future time that's being spoken of even in our day and time. And Daniel is getting a preview of that future time. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects Israel is going to arise. And I can't tell you, people have asked you, well, why is it always Michael? He he seems to be the great protector of the nation Israel. He, He has shown this particular task numerous times. And so, as Michael rises up, you find this, this same concept, the same thought in Revelation chapter 12. And it's interesting to me that the prophet Zechariah picks up on this, and we'll look at some of that tonight. As the prophet Zechariah speaking of that time that's in that day, and again, you can circle those there in Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14 you're going to see that, that same phrase, speaking of a latter time, even to Zechariah, a latter time to Daniel, and a latter time from when Jesus speaks of this abomination that will occur in the temple when the image is established, and I believe it's the image of the Antichrist from Revelation 12. The, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, are going to rise up and they're going to flee Jerusalem. And he couldn't be talking about escaping the ravages of Titus himself. But there's going to come a point in time when Zechariah reminds us that there's some additional information that happens at that time. Zechariah tells us that two thirds of the nation Israel is going to be wiped out, that they're going to die. And so when the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that one day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that all Israel will will be saved, In that day, it's only going to be a third of the nation Israel because two thirds of them will have been killed. You can read that account there in Zechariah as Zechariah speaks to that exact condition. And so fittingly, what happens here in this vision that Daniel has, the very last chapter in this book, he is now going to jump right over the tribulation and all the way to the very last days. A time that we would uh, say would include the second coming of the Lord, a time that would include the millennial reign of Christ. And so he speaks to us in these first three verses uh, of two resurrections. And I want you to see this very clearly. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So there's one group that's delivered multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. That is a resurrection. Notice some of those who are resurrected are resurrected unto eternal or everlasting life and some of those are resurrected only to be damned. That describes exactly what the Bible plainly declares about both the church and the Old Testament saints that went before us before Christ finished the work on the cross. And so as we look at this, we shouldn't be amazed by these things because these two resurrections, according to both Daniel and Jesus, the first everlasting life, the second into shame and contempt, is exactly what Jesus himself preached. In John chapter five, verses 28 and 29, it says, do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will, live, will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And so I believe that this is speaking of the two stages of the first resurrection first. In other words, the church, the Old Testament saints And then finally, those who are tribulation saints. And that's gonna be a very costly proposition for the Jewish people. Most of them, if not all, will be martyred. It will cost them their life. The Antichrist is going to extract a tremendous price from those who are left on the earth who actually believe in Messiah. Those who look up and see, as Zechariah would say, those who will acknowledge the one whom they have pierced they will mourn for him as one mourns for a, for a lost child. They're going to see Messiah and they're gonna go, how did we miss him? And the Antichrist's wrath is going to come against them. But this second resurrection that's listed here is an interesting thing because I believe it's the resurrection that is also, again, mentioned by Jesus when he says that there, are going to be a, there, there will be a separation that's made And that separation, you all know it as a separation between sheep, that would be us, and goats, that would be those who are not us, or as I like to say, the saints and the ain'ts, the the ins and the outs, the, the people who are saved and those who are not. And during that second resurrection, which is only for the unrighteous, that's the second death, family. That's why Jesus said you must be born again because there is a far worse end than dying a natural death on this earth. Way worse than coronavirus would be that death that comes when you hear those words, depart for I have never known you. And so this particular passage is giving us this picture of what Jesus said, what John echoes in the book of Revelation and what we know to be that final judgment that is called the second death. And notice the criteria that's given there in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so when Daniel gets this vision, he is getting the same exact vision, the same exact truth, that Jesus himself would speak and that the author of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis, that John would receive as well. And so who are these wise? They're the ones who have the fear of the Lord, amen? They're the ones that have turned to Christ. They're the ones who we sang about, amen? He is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And oh, by by the way, what follows that? I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Amen? What precedes that? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the only way to get to that resurrection that is the first resurrection that's the one you want to be at. You do not wanna be at that second resurrection. You don't wanna be raised to be condemned. You don't want to be raised to be cast out. <laughs> you want to be raised to be brought in to that final kingdom of our God, Amen. And so He's making it very clear so that when we come to these later passages that are prophetic in nature, that we can look at them and understand them correctly and completely. The beauty of this particular passage, as I shared with you before. Until 1948, and really till 1956, when we finally got to digging through the Dead Sea Scrolls, we weren't sure that the book of Daniel was even real. But we now know, because there's two, not one, but two copies, almost entirely complete, one found in Cave 4, one found in Cave 1 at Qumran, that give us the book of Daniel and gives us this passage, And so this passage, we have a copy of it that's dated to 135 BC, and we have most of the book of Daniel dated to 212 BC. So these words were written before Jesus ever set foot on the earth. And so when we read this, this is truly giving us information that's otherworldly because it wouldn't just be given to Daniel, it would be given through Jesus and then through John in AD 90 as he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And so this is a beautiful confirmation of God's plan. And it's also, people look at this from the negative side and say, well, you know, God's gonna condemn those poor people. Or you can look at it as God has given 2,700 years of information in advance so that man can turn from his sin, so that we can turn towards the Lord, so we can find the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and be saved. And so as Daniel speaks these words, as we learn from him what the end looks like, you can almost say it's like all's well that ends well, amen? We're gonna finally see God bring to fruition the totality of his plan. And so he next gives us some end of the age info. And it's only end of the age info. Notice verse four, but you, Daniel, Now, this is the exact opposite message that was given to John the apostle on the island of Patmos. Why? Because John was already living in the very last days. That was the beginning of the last days. Now, we are at the end of the last days. And so you can look at it in that sense that this timeline that we have laid out before us was not a day. It wasn't two days. It wasn't just simply a week. It was speaking of the age of grace. Speaking of a time when men could be saved by the good news of the gospel, when we could come to faith in Christ because Jesus finished the work to tell us that I had been said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do has been said. Into thy hands I commit my spirit has been said. Jesus has returned to the Father. He is now advocating before the throne of God for you and for me. The plan of salvation is complete. But in Daniel's time, that had not yet happened. So when someone died, they, they went away, the Jesus himself telling us a parable of a rich man and Lazarus would describe in Matthew's gospel, in Luke's gospel. And so we can look at this in this way. But you, Daniel, shut up the words. Seal up the book until the time of the end the actual end, the real time. Not just a general time, but the actual end of days. In other words, these things would make sense when further revelation had happened. When we get some additional information, I don't know how many of you read book series as I was talking this morning about the Fellowship of the Rings. You know, as you, as you, if you don't read The Hobbit, some of what's left in the rest of the series doesn't make sense, amen? You're kind of sitting there going like, what's a Frodo, you know, who's that guy? So in that same sense, as you read the book of Daniel and then you read the prophet Isaiah and then you read Zechariah and then you read what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse and then you read what John says in the book of Revelation, you're starting to get the whole picture. You get all the pieces but all those pieces hadn't been written yet. And so Daniel has some information that isn't going to be corroborated. We use that word in court, amen? You have corroborating evidence. Someone comes to you with a story, what you want is you want someone to corroborate that, that evidence. They're going to give you that story maybe from a different point of view. They're, they may add some additional details to it. This, this word that's given to Daniel will be corroborated by additional witnesses and they are going to write in John's case uh, nearly 700 years later and so we have some additional information now seal up the book until the time of the end many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase now why is that important Because when you look at the the word that we now have, the completed revelation is specifically when you look at Revelation chapter five and six, you're gonna find that there's something interesting that happens as the Lord pours out his wrath on this earth. Does anybody know what he opens up initially? There's a series of what? Scrolls, followed by some bowls, some trumpets, right? Why is that important? Daniel's told to seal it up. He's told to roll it up and he's told to put a seal on it. Who are we told is worthy to loose the seal on the scrolls? That's Jesus, right? At the very end. And so what's happening here is Daniel is reminding us that there's going to be an opening of this scroll at some point in time. This information is going to be absolutely essential to part of the plan at some point in time. And in fact, we know that Jesus is the deed holder to this earth. And one day the worthy one is going to come and open that scroll. And we're going to understand that at that point in time. It is... As John is told, don't seal it up there in Revelation 22, the words of this prophecy, he's told for a very different reason to not seal it because it's complete, it's done. Anyone can know it at that point in time. It would have been highly confusing for this to have been revealed in Daniel's time without the interjection of the truth of Messiah, without the understanding of the plan of God's grace. And so here we have these people who, like Abraham, had passed away and, and God is, is still being faithful to save them, to bring them uh, unto salvation. And in the intervening time, the, this information that we now have before us begins to make sense because we can see through world history we can, we can study easily Media Persia. We can study easily Assyria. We can study easily the Greek empire. We can study easily the Roman empire. We can study even the, the now, the revived Roman empire as we look at Europe and its attachment to the former Roman empire. As I shared with you before, when you would look at the furthest extent of the Roman empire, it went all the way to Scotland. It didn't didn't end someplace in northern Italy. It didn't end at at the Alps or the Dolomites. Hadrian's Wall is located, it divides the northern part of England from Scotland. And so here's this revived Roman Empire that rises up in the very last days. This would have made no sense whatsoever to Daniel. He would have had no way to understand that. But we do, and so it says seal it up until the time of the end. Then it's gonna start to make a whole bunch of sense. Seal it up until the Dead Sea Scrolls are revealed. Seal it up until those last days consortiums of nations are drawn together, until once again we, we, we look at Persia and go, how could Persia be a problem for anyone? It's just a bunch of nomads, Bedouins, not anymore, amen? Persia's back on the scene. We call Persia Iran, correct? So they're a powerful nation with a formidable army, one of the largest in the Middle East. So when Ezekiel writes about the, this, this Persian uh, onslaught that's gonna come in the Battle of Gog and Magog, he has information available to him that wouldn't be confirmed until a whole bunch later, Amen? And so it says, many will go to and fro. And I think this is just simply looking at the accumulation of stuff. I don't know how many of you have ever been on an archaeological dig or been at a dig site, but it is interesting to me how that's done. There's a grid laid out inside the area that's going to be excavated, and meticulous documents of where things are found within are collected. Uh, Very often, it it has uh, coordinates that are given to it that are taken usually with a GPS. Uh, in addition to that, photographic evidence is made, video evidence is made, and there's a meticulous collection of documents, things that you could look at and you go, wow, we know exactly why we can tell you that this is uh, Bronze Age or this is Iron Age too. This fits in this time period. And so you go through and it's not because somebody left a little sign. This is the beginning of the Bronze Age. It's because there are coins and pottery, implements that people use, things that we can date, things that are clearly part of the history of that age and time. And it's a very similar concept in this to and fro. It's as if there's been a meticulous inspection of the evidence that is now available at that time. People are going from place to place to place collecting things. When you go to the Pergamum Museum in Berlin, and you look at the reconstructed Ishtar gates, you go, hmm, I think I know where these guys used to live. Why? Because Daniel told us about those gates. As we saw this morning, we heard in Isaiah chapter 36 of this great king, Sinesherab. Well, you can go witness his chronicles. You can look at the nabonidus chronicles. You can you can take all of this evidence and go, you can go to and fro and pick up pieces here and there, and before you know it, you're going, you know what? Man, the Bible's true. This is the history that Daniel had in advance. These are the things that he knew that had not even happened yet. Now imagine that since the time of Jerome in AD 400, there's been this incredible increase in knowledge in the world, beginning in about 400 AD. And that was largely due to the rise of the discovery of archaeological evidence, ancient inscriptions and literature. And, And so you have Herodotus writing his histories, and you see all of this stuff that's written about the cultures that are alive during the time of Daniel and then after the time of Daniel. And so, we we move forward through time and we arrive at 1948, May 14th, and we have the establishment of the nation Israel. And notice it says here, since there was a nation and back into the land. Well, Israel was out of the land. From the time of Christ, basically from about AD 70, the Jewish people were dispersed. They didn't exist in the land. They'd been kicked out. But on May 14th in 1948, through a UN resolution, following the Balfour mandate, now you have Israel back in the land as a nation, speaking their own language again. Interesting to me, because a lot of Hebrews don't speak Hebrew. They're actually having to teach Hebrews Hebrew, because they're coming from the US, or they're coming from Russia. They may speak Russia, they may speak very great English, but they need to learn Hebrew. And so... Daniel's looking forward. He's saying that time that's at the end because there's going to be a conflict. As we sit here tonight, you know what's crazy in Daniel's time? You would take Daniel. Daniel would have been a very intelligent man. He would have had tremendous knowledge. He would have been a doctor of some kind, maybe a doctor of philosophy, maybe a doctor of education, maybe a medical doctor, who knows? But he had enough information in his time to be considered for a doctorate for sure his knowledge level is actually less than the average fifth grader today. That knowledge in our world doubles every two to three years, general knowledge. So he's saying knowledge in that day will increase. We'll have absolutely tons of information. And so now we can look back at history and go, you know what, this Daniel guy had some stuff that we uh, now know to be true. Daniel, it would have been future to him, but to us, we're looking back at its history. And so the better we understand Daniel's prophecy, the easier it is for us to see that we're very close to the actual end that he saw. And I am not prophesying, and I am not speaking that I know when that end is, but I can tell you we are way closer than Daniel was in his day. We are infinitely closer And there is nothing left in the prophetic calendar that has to happen for the church to be taken home. Nothing, nothing. The Antichrist could rise either before or after. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be either. But he doesn't have to. The church could be gone tonight. We could hear that trumpet sound and be gone. Amen? Let's do it. No more coronavirus. Coronavirus. Yay! I don't know if they play baseball in heaven, though. Some guy came to me and he goes, How come you talked about baseball? The whole study was great until then. Well, you know, it was a little heavy, so I thought I'd interject some laughter or something. You, know? you see, we're real close now. Daniel was a long way off. And so for him, it was very much in the future. For us, it might be tonight. It could be tonight. You might not see another sunrise. You could be home, uh, because the next time Jesus comes, because he's coming twice again, he's gonna come once in the air to take his church home, and he's coming once back to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives and split it in two. So when he comes to get us he isn't even going to make it all the way back here. We're going to see him in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, gone, gone. And then I, Daniel, verse five, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. In other words, on two sides of the same river, and one said to the man clothed in linen. I I fully, again, believe this is Jesus. It's the man clothed in linen. And we know that because of what verse eight says about him and who is above the waters of the river. In other words, it appears that this one in linen is actually above the river. The other two are on the earth. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river and he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time and times and half a time. And then when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, now this is really interesting speech because the holy people are Israel very very clearly. This, this has to be the nation Israel. And their power, which they have some power, will be shattered. All these things shall be finished. In other words, they're going to rise again to power. They're in captivity when Daniel gets this vision. They're not in power, they're enslaved. They will go back to the land, the temple will be rebuilt, and then the temple will be destroyed And because the time marker is sometime after the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes and sometime before the the resurrection, there's something that's happening here that's going to happen, I believe, very soon. And though I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, and here it is, this is how we know who the guy in linen is. My Lord. How many Lords are there? There's exactly one. Ephesians, Paul writes to us, there is one faith, one hope, one Lord, and one Lord who is over all. Speaking of Jesus, what shall the end of these things be? Or what shall be the end of these things? In other words, how is this all gonna work out? What's gonna happen? And so here's this conversation And Daniel admits, I don't quite get this. I'm I'm not quite getting it here. This almost brings to mind to me, remember the two angels came before Abraham prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and then two men who were dressed in white uh, appeared at the ascension of the Lord Jesus himself. This is kind of typical for an appearance of the Lord. It's like, God's speaking, this, this is from heaven. These are heavenly things. And it's interesting because Peter got a little vision of this. And I don't know whether he was referring to his own vision that he saw there in Acts 9, excuse me, in Acts 8. But, but it, is, it is this picture that when God speaks and he uses angelic beings to do it, he's trying to get our attention. This is not the normal way that God speaks. I don't know about you, but I have not had Two angels come to me and stand on either side of any river and instruct me in anything. I guess that's because I'm you know, not Daniel, but this inquiry is not some casual thing of minor interest. This is a major deal. God, God has sent a witness that he rarely sends to make sure that Daniel hears these words. There's a conversation going on, but at the same time, Daniel's saying, you know, I'm not quite sure I get this power of the people are going to be broken, the times, the times and a half. What is all this about? Interestingly enough, we're told that the Antichrist's power is actually going to come to its fruition, its totality, in the middle of the final week of Daniel. There's some time in the middle of the tribulation, that is when the Antichrist will rise up and place his own image in the temple and demand to be worshiped. And from that point forward, all hell breaks loose on the Jewish people principally. They then begin this this journey uh, into the hills of Edom, into this place that we would call modern-day Jordan. And in order for them to be saved, they have to see Messiah. So they they have to be delivered from this terror that's going to come upon them. But the problem is this. Israel has been blind in part. They haven't followed after the Lord. And interestingly and oddly enough, when you travel to Israel, there's some strange things that you see when you're in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you travel to Israel today, you're gonna find that there are very few really truly devout Jewish people that are devout in the sense that they're religiously devout. They're largely not devout. Most people Irregularly may attend synagogues. Some are a little more regular than others. The Hasidim, the, the, those that we would call the Hasids, or the, the ones that we would call orthodox or ultra-orthodox are a very small percentage of the population. They're actually quite secular for the most part. They love sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They're more American than we are for the most part. If you travel to Tel Aviv, the second largest gay pride parade in the world is in Tel Aviv, Israel. They're secular. You go to Israel, you're gonna find people who live a whole lot like we do here in the United States. Yes, everybody will generally have a mezuzah on their door They'll say the Shema as they leave their house. They'll raise their children to be Jewish, but it's largely cultural. But there's gonna be a day when they're gonna turn to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. They're gonna realize exactly what they missed. They're gonna get what Jesus said, I wanted to gather you unto myself, but you would not come. That a prophet was not welcomed In his own home, that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. You see, there's gonna come a day when the Jewish people are gonna wake up to the reality of Messiah. Until then, we have actually a picture, and we'll we'll get to the book of Hosea, but the book of Hosea gives one of the strangest uh, pictures of what God dealt with in the life of the Jewish people when here you have this man that is by all accounts a godly man, Hosea, and God actually instructs me. He says, look, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And he's saying, this is my people. This is who they are. They've gone off in spiritual adultery. They, they go after everything but me. And Gomer, this adulterous wife by whom he ultimately has these children, he doesn't even know if they're his or not. It's this incredible picture. During that time, the Lord says to him in chapter three, it says, the Lord said to me, go and show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Anybody glad that Jesus loved you when you were in love with someone else? The world. So don't be too quick to judge Israel because we're just like her in that sense. We've all strayed. All of us have gone away. Each one turned to his own way. The prophet Isaiah was right. Paul was right in echoing those words. You see, the picture is really simple to see. They turned to other gods, they loved the sacred raisin cakes. And so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. This is important. That's half the price of a real slave. She she was so undervalued that she was half price. She was half off would be another way to look at it. And yet God says, go love her. Go after her, bring her in a homer and a lethek of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or or be intimate with any man and, and, and I will live with you. And then we're told what this is all about. For the Israelites will live for many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice, without sacred stones, without an ephod or an idol. And afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king. How will the Israelites seek David their king? He's dead. Who's Jesus related to? David the king. That's why we call him the lion of the tribe of Judah. And afterwards, when they return, they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings, and again Hosea gets the same marker in the last days. You see, this man is known as Adonai. He's the Lord. What's the outcome of all this? Where's this going to happen? You see, these blank spaces that would kind of be in Daniel's mind are filled in later. As Hosea writes, as Isaiah writes, as Zechariah writes, as Jesus speaks, as the revelation that's given to John is ink to, to parchment. All this stuff starts to fit in place. And now we get to look at it in its near fulfillment. It's almost here. It's nearly that time. There is a hunger among many in Israel for the things of the Lord. Strange in times of conflict and difficulty, You know, how many people turn? And so you have that going on at this moment in time. And people are returning. The the Jewish people are interesting because if you have any portion of Jewish blood, basically, you can make application to the Jewish state and you can get a right of return. You, you, You can be brought in. And so people are returning in droves. And it has slowed down in the last number of years, but... Nonetheless, God is going to gather from the four corners of the world the Jewish people in the final days. And so Daniel sees this very end. Now notice the final verses here and he said, go your way, Daniel. Go your way for the words are closed up. They're sealed until the time of the end. In other words, nobody's going to really understand these things. They're not for now, they're for later. And many shall be purified and made white. How are we purified? In Jesus. How are we made white? In Jesus. How are we refined? By being in Jesus. What's the opposite? Everyone turns into their own way. They do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You know, the wisest thing you can do is give your life to Jesus. Did you know that? If you want to have wisdom, it starts with giving your life to Jesus. That's where the journey begins of wisdom. A knowledge of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning that's where the, the, the timestamp for you and for me gets put into play. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and so here it goes back to needing a temple, needing a temple on the Temple Mount and needing the Jewish system restored. There has to be daily sacrifice. What happened in the temple compound daily? There was sacrifice every single day. When you came to the Temple Mount, when you entered the complex, you first reached the court of the Gentiles and then the court of the women and then finally the court of the priests. And as you're in this outer precinct, as it was called, that's where the sacrifices took place. And Josephus records for us that there were so many sheep and goats that were slaughtered in a given time, especially around Passover, that the blood would actually run off of the Temple Mount and down into the streets. This was a bloody mess. And there, the, the priest would go to the altar of sacrifice and half would be offered up to the, to the Lord himself and half would be given to the priests. The, the blood would be shed. The hands would be washed in this bronze laver this wash basin, the priest would cleanse themselves. And then they would go in and they'd they'd pass by the table of showbread. And they'd be reminded that, that they were of the tribes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12. And they'd stand before this huge veil. And here's this altar of incense with four horns on it. And they would offer up their prayers. You see, none of that has happened. I personally believe that the Ark of the Covenant never came back from Babylon. We have no record of it ever being back in the temple, even in the time of Christ. And so there has to be sacrifice being offered on the temple for this passage to come true. And if Daniel was right about the Greeks, and Daniel was right about the Romans, And Daniel was right about the Mesopotamians, the Medes and the Persians. Daniel was right about the Babylonians. Daniel's gonna be right about the Jewish people as well because it came from the Lord. It wasn't Daniel's words. It was the work of the Holy Spirit speaking into Daniel's life. He recorded these things and much of it came directly from the Lord himself, much like John received in his vision of Jesus Christ in the island of Patmos that we call the book of Revelation. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand from the time of the daily sacrifices taken away to the abomination of the desolation. There it is set up in the temple. You gotta have a temple to set up an abomination of desolation. It couldn't have been Antiochus or Jesus was wrong about this date. So it's still future and it's a future temple, a temple that still does not exist on the Temple Mount. And then it gives us some timelines and there will be 1,290 days. And blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Three and a half years, we'll get to this in a second. But you go your way till the end for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. And so closes this, amazing book. And so now Daniel is going to get some answers and a little comprehension is given to him. The Lord's reply here to Daniel's question kind of begins with a rebuke. It's like, no, you're not going to know everything. Daniel, go your way because this is closed up. You can't know this stuff. It's not actually for you. You know, the apostle Paul said something very similar. First Corinthians chapter one, he said, the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, but to we, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? So God gives appropriate messages in their appropriate time. And as Proverbs 9, 10 unlocks the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, when you start to understand God's plan, all of a sudden, the light goes on in your head. And basically, Daniel's saying, look, I, I heard what you said, but I really don't get it. I don't understand. And so the Lord encourages Daniel. He tells him, look, here's the purpose of this time of distress. Here's what's going to happen. Your people are going to get saved. They're, they're going to know me. And we get this kind of crazy chronology, because if you look at three and a half, the three and a half years that uh, is here first, you, you kind of go, well, that's, that's 42 months. That's mm, 1,260 days. And then you have 1,290 days. And it's like, what is this 1,335 days? What's that all about? Because God's actually given us a timeline at the very end. He's telling us when these things will actually happen relative to events that have not yet happened still. Why is that important? Because no one can know the day or the hour that the Son of Man comes. In other words, we're not gonna know when Jesus comes back the first time, when he comes to get us in the air. That one we won't know. But we are going to know exactly when he's going to return in the second coming. From the time of the desolation that Daniel speaks of, this abomination in the temple that does not yet exist, there will be 1,260 days And then Jesus is coming back to fight the battle of Armageddon and to deal with sin and all of its consequences. And then there's going to be a time and it appears that one scenario that I think is plausible at least is that after the Lord returns, when he makes that return to the Mount of Olives, that he's gonna gather together all the survivors, all the nations and bring them to Jerusalem. They're gonna be all over the world, by the way. The majority of this battle is gonna happen right in the vicinity of Jerusalem, Valley of Jehoshaphat. But I think it's gonna take a bit of time. Remember what he said? There's going to be some that will be raised unto life and some that will be raised unto judgment. We call that Jesus spoke of that in Matthew 25. And he said he's gonna separate some sheep and some goats. In other words, there's gonna be a period of time where God is actually judging uh, those who are in and those who are out. The sheep enter in. Those who are out, maybe it takes 45 days. I don't know, but I know this. There's no need to worry if you're found in Christ Jesus. Amen? You know, one of the things always amazes me, people say, well, you know, what if I don't, well, if you don't know that, you don't need to know it if you're not planning on being here to be judged as a goat, amen? I don't wanna be a goat. I'm perfectly happy being a sheep. You know, I'm not very good at, anyway. Once the image of the beast is erected, the wise will have increased in their knowledge. They'll be able to count down the arrival of Christ from that day. Those that know their Bibles. One of the reasons we study the Word of God in this church, one of the reasons that we meticulously study chapter and verse is because you need to know the Word of God. The Word of God is life. I need to know the Word of God. It is life. This is not some book of man's philosophical bent. This is heaven stuff. This came from heaven. It was given to us on earth so that we could know what God wants us to know. And so we need to know our Bibles. And so we see these two days. We see the known day and we see the unknown day. Jesus, again, when he speaks in this discourse that we call the Olivet Discourse, he's on the Mount of Olives and he speaks in Matthew chapter 25, verse 13, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. He's saying, be aware, be awake, be looking, turn your eyes to heaven. And that is because when Christ comes for a second time, he's coming twice for that second time. The first time in the air and the second time to the earth. But he's gonna come, he's gonna, he's gonna split the Mount of Olives in two. I don't know about you, but when I I've been there. I've stood on the Temple Mount and looked over at the Mount of Olives and tried to imagine Jesus descending from heaven and put his feet down on the Mount of Olives and a river of water flowing from the west to the east down to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea comes alive again. When you you stand at the edge of the Dead Sea, you can't imagine anything being alive in the Dead Sea. You're sitting there hoping that you don't get any of that water in your eyes if you float in there. It's salt acid. It's really fun to float in. But you don't want to put your face in it. We're being given some very final pieces of the prophetic puzzle here. The parts that are right at the end. And since the Bible doesn't contradict itself, there has to be two different days here that are in view that Jesus is speaking of. He wants to rapture his church and wants to come back to this earth, put his feet down on the Mount of Olives, split it in two. And I love what is going on here because as is true with the entirety of the Bible, the Bible almost always gives us the bad news followed by the good news. Amen. Gives us our condition, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. And then tells us that for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourself this is a gift. We can't boast about it. Amen. We get the bad news, which we have a problem. The good news is we can be saved by grace and through faith. The same is true with Daniel. Daniel's probably going, oh man, I don't know what's going on here. Well, God is faithful. He's numbering the wise. He's saying, look, you're going to go your way to the end. In other words, I don't know about you, but if somebody came to you that's floating over the river somewhere and you've got an angel on either bank and he looks at you and goes, dude, you're gonna croak. You're gonna die, but it's gonna be okay, amen? I love that. You're gonna die, but it's gonna be okay. I'm like, great, when's that gonna happen? The time of the end, ah, man. It's like, could you just tell me it's gonna be on, you know, sometime in August after I've had a good summer vacation? No, the Lord leaves it open. And so just like Jesus describing in Luke 16, this place that we call Abraham's bosom, where, where this rich man and Lazarus are, and Lazarus is looking over and the rich man is calling from the other side from this abyss and he's saying, look, send Lazarus over here. I need some water for my lips. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 that can't happen. There's a great gulf fixed between us. You can't come to him, he can't go to you. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, what? Today you'll be with me in paradise, amen? That's actually what that word is, shoal, paradise. Has two compartments. One of them got emptied because Jesus first descended before he ascended. One of them no longer holds anybody, but the other side is still quite full. And those people are awaiting a far worse death than their first one. It's the second death. So the good news is this. You don't have to wait, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, amen? So if you don't wanna see where those guys went You can just simply give your life to Jesus. To believe on his name is to be saved. And so Daniel's getting this incredibly good news. It's like, look, you're going to sleep in the dust for a while, and then you're going to be resurrected. That's why the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons or present, or future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, amen? Hell can't do it because you aren't going there, amen? No one can snatch them out of my hand, which are mine, which those ones that my Father has given me, Jesus said. Thank you, Jesus, amen? Amen? Daniel's getting a preview of this. He's like, dude, you're gonna croak, but it's gonna be okay because you're gonna be raised unto life. Can you imagine? This is one of the things I can't wait to talk to somebody when I get to heaven. I don't know if you guys get like this, but I get kind of antsy every once in a while. It's like I sit there and think about it. Can you imagine the look on Daniel's face when Jesus descends to the Abuzo? Sheol, and there's Abraham and Daniel and David and all the Old Testament saints who died in faith. And he says, come on, guys, we're out. We're heading home. We're done. You don't have to stay here anymore. I know this has been good because we called it paradise. But the plan of salvation is completed. And they're set free. He set captivity free. They were bound. Can you imagine the look on their face? It's you. It's him. The same guy that was floating over the river. I I don't know what Daniel's going to do. The same one that was in the lion's den. Think about it. Think about what glories. No wonder Paul said, I can't tell you. It's too amazing. Amen? That's what he saw. And so church, is that your personal hope? Church, is that your personal hope? You see, it's my hope. Some people will say, well, you know, you're just weird because you're a pastor. No, I'm just weird, period. It's not because I'm a pastor. I was weird before I became a pastor. Now I'm just weird for Jesus. I agree with Paul. I'm out of my mind for the sake of Christ. I'm not out of my mind. I'm out of my mind for the sake of Christ, amen? Oh, I have a very real view of what's gonna happen when I take my last breath. I'm gonna wake up seeing the face of Jesus. You see, that's my hope. That's my personal hope. And so as Daniel learned all these things, Daniel had this expectant hope that we're supposed to have today. As Daniel was told these things, now you could look at it from the negative side, you go, what, I'm not gonna live forever now? No, Daniel, you're gonna die. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. I've overcome death. I've overcome the enemy of your soul. I've defeated Satan himself. I have crushed his head. He may have bit my heel, but I smashed his head. Amen? Amen. So church, I'm asking you a question. Is this your personal hope? It's my personal hope. That's what it means to be wise in the things of the Lord. My personal hope governs how I think about things like coronavirus. My personal hope governs how I think about politics. My personal hope governs how I think about finances and life. My personal hope governs everything in my life. Everything. I even golf in Jesus. Sometimes I actually, you know, the ball goes straighter. I I pray. No, I'm just, I'm messing with you. my personal hope is in Jesus. My personal hope is in the hopeful one. And so at the end of this, that's why we should do our best to present ourselves to God as one who is approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. You see, when we think of that, when Paul wrote that to Timothy, he's saying, man, know your Bibles so that you can know the truth because truth sets you free. The personal hope that I have, I hope in Jesus I don't hope in church. I don't hope in government. I I don't hope in a cure for COVID-19. I hope in Jesus. That's my personal hope. He's the great equalizer of everything in life and death. All that there is. Jesus speaking. Be the Jewish people of his day for not understanding and not believing what the Old Testament had said of him. John chapter five, verse 37, and the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. What do you think Jesus was referring to? Jesus said very plainly, the father who sent me has himself testified concerning Concerning me, you think he might've been talking about Daniel? Maybe Zechariah and Isaiah? How about Moses? They were speaking of Jesus. They were telling, look, hope's coming. Hope's coming. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus was saying, man, if you just studied the book of Daniel, if you just read the prophecies of Isaiah, if you took time to not worship the Torah, but worship the God of the Torah, if you didn't venerate the rabbis, but instead of turned your heart and your mind to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, you'd get it. And so this is my personal hope tonight. God is faithful, amen? God was faithful in the pagan world of Daniel. Do you think God's gonna be faithful in our pagan world? Amen, he is. God is faithful when we are, say it, faithless, amen? He cannot deny himself, why? Because he's faithful. Hallelujah. We need to get excited about our king. Amen. In Jesus' persistence, we see Daniel doing the same thing, persisting in prayer, even though the results, hear this church, for Daniel, he persisted in prayer, even though it took 80 years for God to answer his prayer. 80 years. Daniel was a man of prayer his whole life. And he got all the way to the end. Man, my hope is in my king. I want to persist the way Daniel persisted. I I want God to say, man, it was so good talking to you all along the journey. Too many Christians talk to God when they're in trouble. Too many Christians talk to God when they need something. Too many Christians talk to God at the most inopportune time because what they should really have been doing is talking to God all along the journey. And instead, we're like, oh, you know, can you bail me out? You know, it's like we're calling a bail bondsman. It's like, oh, I got arrested. You know, can you come get me? Yeah. My hope is in the king who loves me. I want to talk to the one who loves me. And third... Of Daniel, it can be said the testimony that he had of his God before his peers, those people that were his peeps and even his superior was first and foremost in his life. If you didn't know anything else about Daniel, you know Daniel worshiped the living God. You could know nothing else about him. And it was evident that his God was the Lord. And in a practical sense, he had a desire to know everything that God could show him. I want to be like Daniel. I want us to be a church like Daniel. I want to pray like Daniel. I want to honor God's word like Daniel did. I want to revere God and put him in his right place. So that people know when they meet me, they're going to get a little glimpse of Jesus. I want to be like Daniel. I want to dare to be a little bit like Daniel. That's going to produce in you a boldness, a real boldness of life and living that's going to show up in everything that you do and everything that you are. One of the great tragedies that I see in the church is you could remove Jesus from an awful lot of Christians' lives and nothing would change. It it stunned me to hear a few people say today, well, why do we need to be in church? Can I tell you, if you took church out of my life, I wouldn't have one. I wouldn't have a life. And that's not because I'm a pastor. I love Jesus. I wanna be around him. I wanna be around his people. I wanna be in his word. I wanna be in prayer. I wanna worship the king. If you took church out of my life, I wouldn't have one. Daniel was one of those guys that so loved the Lord that if you were to take his God away, you might as well kill him because there'd be nothing for him to live for. May we be like that. May we be so in love with Jesus that we can't live without him. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray together? I wanna encourage you, maybe somebody's here tonight and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're saying, you know, Pastor Jeff, I, you, know, you talked about this whole relationship thing. I don't even know what that is. Let me tell you what that is. Jesus Christ came to this earth as God's own son and his only son. And he lived a sinless life. And in living that sinless life, he lived the life that you can't live. Never. And in doing so, he offered up his life in your place on Calvary's cross. And he died so that you could live. And he said, if you will believe in me, even though just like he told Daniel, you're going to die, you will live. He'll forgive your sin, he'll wipe away your debt. And in the place of your sin and that debt, he will put his own perfect righteousness. You will be justified. The debt will be paid, scored for you. It'll be in your benefit in heaven. And God the Father will never, ever again look on you. Through that sin, he'll see the righteousness of Christ. If you will believe that in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. And so if that's you tonight, we're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna begin to pray. And if you need to know Jesus tonight, I'm just gonna ask you right where you're at to raise your hand. And we'll pray together to receive Christ. For the rest of us, let's take our our lives to the Lord. Let's dare to be like Daniel tonight. Just bow your heads with me. Anyone at all that doesn't know the Lord, you want to know Jesus. I see that hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. That's the boldness of the cross being made manifest in somebody's life. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to love him the way he loves you. Anyone else? Anyone at all? Just slip your hand up. We're going to pray together. You don't wanna leave this place without knowing the king. You don't wanna turn away from this place without knowing Jesus. If you're here tonight and you know the Lord, pray for someone who doesn't. Because I don't believe that everyone else here necessarily knows the Lord, so let's give it a minute. Anyone at all? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But those of you that raised your hands, let's pray together. You have to repeat these words from your heart, not from the words that I say. They need to come from you. To the ears of God, would you just repeat after me, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I desperately need a savior. And I'm telling you right now that I can't save myself. Would you save me? Or would you forgive my sin? Would you write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Or would you take away the stain of my sin and the pain of my sin? Lord, would you work right now by the power of your spirit to set me free from the bondage that I put myself under? Lord, thank you for loving me before the foundations of the world. And thank you right now for saving me and forgiving my sin. Would you implant your Holy Spirit in me? Would you make me a new creation in Christ Jesus? Lord, help those old things to pass away and all things to become new in you. I give you my life, and I'm asking you to also be my Lord, to be the master of my days. I thank you, Lord, for the salvation I have that is rich and it's free. Use me now for your kingdom and for your glory all the rest of the days of my life in Jesus name amen 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 for those that prayed that prayer pastors are up front we want to give you a new new believers growth book give you a bible if you need one we want you to have some tools to get started on your journey with the Lord for the rest of us let's pray and ask God to make us Daniels father thank you Thank you for these that have been saved tonight. Thank you for those that have come to your table of grace and believed on your name. And Lord, would you impart to them right now that special blessing of knowing who they are in you. God, supernaturally speak your love over their lives. And for the rest of us, Lord, make us like Daniel. Lord, people who desire you, people who talk to you daily, people who know your word, people who are laboring in prayer, people who have those around us know who we are because you are our life. You're not part of our life. You are our life, Lord Jesus. Help us to desire to know the deeper things that only your close kids know. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message.